Hello, listeners. Welcome to episode 19. And yes, that is Fallout Boys. Sugar, we are going down. And that has absolutely nothing to do with Cronoso, but that's the last song I listened to, so that's what you guys are getting. All right, we have a jam-packed in-between episode here. Uh, just a potpourri of stuff from February 1989, how it worked out perfectly from last episode's main event and next episode's Saturday night's main event. We have a few guests returning, Mark Curier and Luke Jennings dropped by to give reviews. We have your typical favorites like David Hall, Mike Rossi, and Tim Slomka, John D'Amato, Ryan Everett, and Steve Bennett. I am doing a YouTube live watch with Drew Wardlow, Ravishing Rick Rude, versus Brutus the Barber Beefcake from Madison Square Garden. And in the main event, Richie Mars is bringing you the Million Dollar Man Melee. Just a bunch of Million Dollar Man belt vignettes with his buddy Seth. All right, guys, that is it for now. Let's hop right into Cronoso. Hi, everybody. Mark Poirier here again to review a match between one of the greatest wrestlers of all time and his opponent, Bret Hart. I can't really say anything bad about Bret or I'm sure they will take my Canadian citizenship away from me. Bret is facing a former ally of his here, a man who, as Gorla Monsoon always correctly stated, literally handed the world taking titles to. I'm, of course referring to suspended for life referee and now wrestler dangerous danny davis this match took place on wwf superstars from huntsville alabama air date february 4th 1989 a rare singles match for the hitman here because at the time he was still tagging with his partner jimmy evil and nightheart as part of the heart foundation davis is accompanied by brett's former manager jimmy the mouth of south heart vince McMahon declares before this match that it will be excellent you sure about that? Brett is very aggressive against his former friend at the onset, with some hard right hands, a headbutt, and a boot to the gut as Davis rolls to the floor to regroup. Danny comes back into the ring and puts his hand out for the hitman to shake in friendship, but Brett is having absolutely none of that as he blasts Danny with a right hand. Vince then sends it to an inset promo from Brett as he declares to the honky tonk man that he is coming for him. After Brett is done stomping Danny in the stomach in the corner, Danny finally gets on the offense with a good old poke in the eye. With Brett on the mat and the ref being distracted, Jimmy Hart begins to choke the hitman on the ring apron. Danny then decides to join the fun as he also begins to choke Brett. May I add, while all this is happening, Vince and Jesse are completely ignoring the match and talking about the mega powers breaking up on the main event the prior week. Brett's big comeback consists of standing up and punching Danny hard in the gut. A back elbow, inverted atomic drop, and a backbreaker later, Brett sets up Danny for a pile driver. First, however, he points to Jimmy Hart, delivers the move, and scores the easy three count. As a Bret Hart fan, I can say without a question that this was the finest moment of his career. I give this two stars on the Meltzer scale, four out of ten on the Brett scale. That will do it for me this month. I'm Mark Poirier, and I have nothing to plug. Hey there, everyone. It is, once again, the Down Under Thunder. This is Dave Hall for another episode of Cronoso. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. We love that you are listening and joining us every two weeks on this journey. As we continue our build to WrestleMania 5. 
And today I'm actually going to look at something a little bit different. I'm looking at a match from Superstars of Wrestling on February the 4th, 1989. And it's a match between the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, and Sam Houston. Now, back in the 80s, it was very common for there to be a what they called a feature match on Superstars. Two guys who were featured players in the company. Not necessarily at the same level, but certainly... Um, people who you would see on the house show circuit, not just a straight jobber. And that is essentially what this match, I guess, is supposed to be. Um, Sam Houston had been with the company for a couple of years, certainly had had his share of spotlight matches. Um, and Ted DiBiase is one of the top guys in the company. But I'm not sure that Sam Houston's uh, visibility and, and status in the company is really to be gloated about anymore because by this point Houston really is nothing more than just a jobber or a jobber to the stars. Um, as he, as he enters the ring, this match sort of starts as Houston, you know, DBS is in the ring with Virgil as always no music yet. It's not far away. Houston comes down to the ring to his music. So this is a, like I said, that's a featured bout. Sam Houston's getting an entrance. As he enters the ring, DiBiase just straight out attacks him. Houston hasn't even got out of his uh, entrance gear. And uh, DiBiase lays some good shots in him, strips the gear off him, tosses him out of the ring. And, um, you know, you can really see that that DiBiase is, is, a, is a step above, a class above Houston. Um, he suplexes Houston back in the ring and we get a sunset flip and... Houston manages to turn it into a, um, you know, he does, like I said, the sunset flip for, for a pin attempt and, uh, and gets a two count. He then does a little small package for a two count. So Houston's getting a bit of offense in. And as I said, that's very unusual uh, in a jobber match, but a, a, a featured match, it's certainly uh, acceptable. Um, DiBiase levels him with a gut wrench suplex. I always love DiBiase's gut wrench suplexes. They are great. And then DiBiase starts dropping down those fists. He stand, sort of stands and measures him with these fists with a bit of a pointed finger. He does three of them, and they're really brutal. And at this point, we get a little inset interview. It's Big John Studd. And Studd says that he's not going to be bought off, and he's looking for a shot at DiBiase. Now, that's really unusual because Studd really, outside of the Royal Rumble, Stud and DiBiase never cross paths. Stud's really been feuding with Akeem. And um, we're going to hear a little bit more about that later in this episode. And of course, they're really building to a storyline between him and Andre. Um, so it's just a bit unusual. Anyway, Houston tries to battle back and DiBiase clocks him a couple of times. Um, Houston comes off the ropes with a cross body and then... DBRC goes for a big clothesline. Houston ducks it, and we get the atomic drop and a couple of drop kicks. And Houston's getting the offense in. Like I said, this is a feature match. Houston's getting a lot of offense in. Um, levels in with a knee to the stomach and signals for essentially what looks to be a bulldog. But DBRC sort of bounces off the rope and hits a kick in the stomach and um, goes for an Irish whip. Now, 
Houston reverses it and he goes for another crossbody and DiBiase plants him with a power slam and gets the three count. It's actually a really good counter move. Um, not something you usually see DiBiase win with and he's not winning with the million dollar dream. And that's very unusual for DiBiase. Again, it shows that Houston is still seen as not, not, not just a jobber. He's, he's a, sort of the next step up. Um, DBRC is not happy with what's going on. He picks Houston up and clamps on the million dollar dream and puts Houston out completely. And then the finishing touches, DBRC takes the money from Virgil and shoves it in the mouth of Sam Houston. Now, as I said, Houston has dropped a long way in the company, but he still was given some offense in this match. And DiBiase sells it so well. DiBiase is such a good performer in the ring, and he really makes guys look good. He made Sam Houston look good. Unfortunately for Houston, this is probably the last time he will ever look good in a WWF ring. He is basically at this point, as I said, he was he got an entrance. He got some offense. He's still a featured player. But really, after this, Houston is on the um, on the landslide out. He is going to just turn into nothing more than complete jobber before leaving the company later in the year. And, you know, he really never amounted to much in the WWF. He, 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 the, the, the negative thing for Sam Houston is he never really had the body type for a WWF wrestler. Um, he came into the company in sort of late 86, early 87. Um, he came from the NWA where he had been a featured player, sort of um, mid-Atlantic, Jim Crockett promotions. He'd been a bit of a featured player where you can be a bit smaller and get away with it. But the moment he arrived in WWF, he was always undersized. His first feud was this big feud with Danny Davis. It really meant nowhere. He was involved in Terry Taylor's early um, matches before Taylor became the Red Rooster. Outside of that, he's done absolutely nothing. Um, he's appeared at, at Survivor Series and WrestleMania, but really in nothing roles and eliminated pretty quickly from his Survivor match and, and from his um, from the Battle Royal at WrestleMania 4. And now he's just been thoroughly and comprehensively beaten by, by DiBiase. This match really serves as a stepping stone. That it, It's a match where they've moved DiBiase out of the Hercules feud. Uh, DiBiase, not, the commentators Jesse and Vince make no mention of Hercules in this match. As I said, there was an inset promo with Big John Studd. So Hercules isn't even featured also. This is a move away for DiBiase, preparing him for the next step in his journey. And as we're going to see later in this episode, they, they really develop the character a little bit more because DiBiase is going to move on from his chase for the WWF World Heavyweight Championship and he's going to set his sights and goals on proving himself another way but I'm going to leave that for later in this episode um, that's not for me to share right now but there it is guys you know superstars of wrestling feature match Ted DiBiase just looked great as always. The WWF continued to showcase him in a prominent role. Um, Sam Houston probably on the way out the door. And it, it's not a bad little match. You know, it's a superstars match. What, what do you get? For a superstars match, is actually a pretty decent match. But, um, you know, 
quick pace, moves in, and then it's done. It's all you expect, but a comprehensive win for Ted DiBiase as he begins his build to WrestleMania five and some character development coming for him. For this episode of Cronoso, that's it for the Down Under Thunder. Don't forget, you can catch me once a month on Through the Looking Glass over on the uh, Place to Be Nation uh, feed. Really encourage you to check that out. Um, we're building up. It's Christmas time and our latest episode of Through the Looking Glass is a special Christmas featured episode where um, Scott Criscolo and I have opened the presents, opened your suggestions, our listener suggestions for some uh, some ideas. So have a listen to that. Thanks once again for listening to this episode. And I can't wait to join you next time. And uh, it's going to be a great, great episode. This one, stay tuned. There is some fantastic matches that you're going to get to to hear about uh, from both superstars and from house shows. I um, I know you're going to enjoy it. So uh, sit back and enjoy the rest of the ride. Hello again, Chronoso fans, family, folk, and all the fine people out there who listen to the No So Chronoso here on the North South Connection podcast channel. I am your host for this little segment, the host of the UK's number one and only Memphis wrestling related podcast, Mr. Luke Jennings, bringing you the Memphis content of wrestling cast each and every Saturday. But and then bi weekly, we bring you Monday Night Project and Hamburg All Stars, all part of the Old Bakery Productions. You can follow us on Twitter at Old Bakery Bro. This week, or this uh, section of Cronoso, we are bringing you Tito Santana versus Rick Rude from February the 11th, 1989, in the Baston Garden. There's a few of the things that took place this uh, this day. First, outside of the WWF, there is a Pacific Northwest card, Portland, Oregon, where they are seeing Al Madrill versus Rex King, Joey Jackson versus Mike Golden, Scott Peterson versus C.W. Bergstrom, Top Gun versus Steve Dole, and an eight-man tag match: Beetlejuice, Carl Style, Steve Dole, and Top Gun going against Al Madrill, Colonel De Beers, Joey Jackson, and the Grappler. There is a Windy City Wrestling television taping. Uh, and some of the names that you may f- be familiar with, uh, Buddy Rose and Doug Summers are on this uh, on this uh, card. Steve Regal, Mr. Electricity versus Jim Bronzel. There is also John Nord on this card. Also the Texas Hangmen. There is a show in Vancouver. Vancouver, British Columbia, Cloverdale. The only name that looks familiar to me is uh, Michelle Starr. That happened there. There's also uh, a card in Stampede. Stampede Wrestling is still going at this point. Their card is uh, The Powers, David and Larry versus Goldie Rogers and Sandy Beach. Johnny Smith versus Biff Wellington. Uh, a name that some of you may be familiar with, Mr. Steve Blackman. He's teaming with a gentleman called Tom Nash and they're going against Randy Colley and Roger Rhodes. Larry Cameron versus Ron Ritchie. He that shall not be named versus Gallas Singh. And then Makan Singh and Vokan Singh against the British Bulldogs, that being Davy Boy and Dynamite. WCW have got a house show. WCW have got a house show in the Charlotte Coliseum, where they're going to be witnessing Sting versus Grizzly Boone, Dick Murdoch versus Ray Candy, Steve Casey versus Randy Rhodes, Michael Hayes and the Junkyard Dog going against the Russian Assassins, 
Kendall William versus Ivan Koloff, Abdullah the Butcher versus Kevin Sullivan, the Road Warriors versus the Vasty Club, and main event of Eddie Gilbert and Ricky Steamboat versus Barry Windham and Ric Flair. There's also a USWA card featuring Dutch Mattel versus Brian Lee, Master of Pain versus Jerry Lawler, amongst other happenings. There's also a couple of things happening in the WWF. First of there is this is the fir- this is a one of four shows. So the other shows are consisting of uh, Washington DC Armory, and they have got Sam Houston versus Barry Wind, Barry Horwitz, sorry, the Red Roosters versus the Brooklyn Brawler, Rock and Robin versus Sensational Sherry, Hercules versus the One True King Haku, Greg Valentine versus Jim Neidhart, Demolition versus the Powers of Pain, Brutus Beefcake versus Ted DiBiase, Hulk Hogan versus the Big Boss Man. Those guys then fly down to the Philadelphia Spectrum, where they are part of the final Spectrum event televised on the Prism Network. Again, same card. Uh, we've also got a card in Richmond, Virginia, in the Coliseum. 5,500, witness Nikolai Volkov versus Tim Horner. Ron Garvin and Mr. Perfect go into a time limit draw. Hillbilly Jim versus Dino Bravo. The Rockers versus the Brainbusters. The Blue Blazer versus Danny Davis. Bret Hart versus Honky Tonk Man. Andre the Giant versus Jake Roberts. Then finally, we've got this show, 15,200, a sellout here in the Boston Garden, filmed on Nesson with Rod Trungard and Lord Alfred Hayes on commentary. We get uh, Jim Powers versus Iron Mike Sharp, Coco Beware versus Boris Zukov, Big John Studd versus Akeem, Bad News Brown versus Pete Doherty, the Rougeos versus the Bushwhackers, Ron Bass versus Paul Roma, Randy Savage versus Ultimate Warrior. Just a quick note there's some times here. Jim Powers and Iron Mike Sharp went. 11 minutes. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. 11 minutes. The main event, Randy Savage, Ultimate Warrior, went 10. 10 minutes. But, ladies and gentlemen, before now let's go down to ringside so we can see Ricky Rude. Ricky Rude. Rick Rude versus Tito Santana. Tito Santana here tonight at the Boston Garden to face ravishing Rick Rude and Tito. Before we talk about your match this evening, I want to go back a little bit. WrestleMania 4, you lost your tag team partner. You were at the top of World Wrestling Federation tag team competition. Now you have been in singles competition. You have proven you can be on top once again. That's exactly right. You know, uh, it was a little tough making the adjustment. You know, uh, tag team and singles, uh, it's a big, big difference. But I did make the adjustment. You know, Rick wants to be on his own. I'm on my own now. Maybe a strike force in the future, maybe not. But right now, Tito Santana is back on top as a singles, and I'm enjoying it. Okay, excellent condition. It's uh, very obvious to tell. But you're going to be facing one of the toughest men here in the World Wrestling Federation, ravishing Rick Rude. No lack of confidence on that man's part. Without a doubt, one of the toughest, one of the most polished uh, professional wrestlers, and one of the most arrogant wrestlers there is, you know. I'm not going to take nothing from Rick Rude. You know, he has one of the best bodies in professional wrestling, but that doesn't do it alone, Rick Rude. You have to go out there and you have to get the job done in the ring. And I guarantee you, if there is a chance, Rick Rude, for me to snap that figure four leg lock, you know, your legs, uh, they're not the biggest legs in the world. I'd like to put that figure four on you, Rick Rude, and see just how much dancing you're going to be doing in that ring. Okay, clearly you can see the intensity in this man, Tito Santana. Tito, can you give us one arriba? Rick Rude, arriba! Well, there you yeah. have it. Tito Santana to face Ravishing Rick Rude. It's coming at you. Stay tuned. If you enjoy trout fishing like I do, then you should be a member of Trout Unlimited. For just $20, you'll receive full membership credentials, including a Trout Unlimited membership card, window decal, a full year subscription to Trout Magazine, 
and a full-year subscription to our newspaper. Each colorful issue of Trout Magazine is packed with tips from the best trout and salmon fishermen in the world, our exclusive fly tires notebook, and special features designed to help you be a better trout angler. To join Trout Unlimited and receive full membership privileges, just pick up your telephone. Use your credit card and call 1-800-942-2300 now to join Trout Unlimited. When you join, you'll also receive this special pack of three hand-tied fishing flies, all proven to catch trout. That's 1-800-942-2300 for a full-year subscription to the award-winning Trout Magazine, Trout Action Line newspaper, full membership credentials, and the bonus flies. Call now 1-800-942-2300. Meet Carrie, a shy, innocent schoolgirl from a town just like yours. Hi, Carrie. Taunted by classmates who weren't aware of her special powers. Until one night when Carrie sought revenge and turned the prom into a holocaust of terror and destruction. Sissy Spacek and John Travolta, Carrie, Friday night at 8 on TV 38's Movie Love. Nesson, catch the excitement. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to introduce to you an individual who in turn will bring you the next match. No doubt you have seen him each and every week on the World Wrestling Federation Event Center, Sean Mooney. <laughs> oh, look at Sean. <laughs> They'll give him a little boo there, but hey, you have to be christened somewhere along the line. <laughs> Go get him, Sean. <laughs> He's a good man. This match scheduled for one fall. Making his way to the ring. Hailing from Robbinsdale, Minnesota. Weighing 251 pounds. Minnesota. Hey, that's from my part of the country. He loves him, or so it seems anyway. Ravishing Rick Rude. How are we going to have a rude awakening here, Lord Afflin? Got the music. I think we're going to have a little de-robing. Hopefully only a little. What I'd like to have right now is for all you fat, out of shape, Boston Boneheads. He's not one of them. Keep the noise down while I take my robe off and show the ladies what a real sexy man looks like. Hit the music. Well, 20,000 here at the garden are going to get a lick and a look. And she's looking closely and millions more watching on television. And here is ravishing Rick Rude. No two ways about it. He has great definition. And look at that pose down. Okay. 
Sean Mooney. Back again for the rest of the introduction. His opponent. Oh ho! Mexico. They love him. As Tito comes down the ring, we've got uh, Joey Morello as our referee. I thought I'd let uh, the Rick Rude intro play because we are listening. Or we're not watching on uh, the network or the Peacock. We're watching on that place where you can watch videos. Begins with a Y. I'm not going to mention it because sometimes it gets uh, some people get annoyed by it. But you can watch it on that channel if you would just search WF Boston Garden, February 11, 1989. You can watch this whole show. Tito Santana now in the ring. Over on the Memphis Continent Wrestling cast, recently we've just seen the debut of Rick Rude in Memphis in 1984. We're uh, going to be watching his um, trajectory. Um, if you've seen any early uh, Rick Rude, say 83, he's very different looking to what he is now in 1989. He's kind of got those those sort of um, washboard abs, but he's very like his legs are very skinny, and he just looks very strange in proportion but he's here and he's jacked and he is uh, is wearing uh, red tights with some sort of lady on the front of him black boots Tito Santana wearing his white trunks white boots Rick Rude wants a test of strength here so at the minute I believe Rick Rude is feuding with Velvet Warrior Tito Santana is in a bit of a predicament. He is in singles action and has been for quite a while. Um, Rick Martell is away. I think in, he's either injured or he's looking after his wife or something. Um, and he'll be back soon and they'll be teaming up again very soon. Heading towards WrestleMania 5. That's all I'm going to say because I'd imagine I would imagine we are covering WrestleMania 5 on the Cronoso. I don't know. I don't. Know. It's it's a hap- it's it's, a, it's an event that's happened years ago, but it's um, you don't want to spoil anything for people who do, who listen and don't know anything about wrestling. If you want to listen to it, you can listen to uh, Greetings from Allentown, Pete and uh, Keith, Peter and Keithy uh, covered it a few weeks ago. Uh, three parts they did it in in their excellent style of podcasting that they do. Now with the advantage of this uh, power struggle, but Tito is not bagging down yet. Rick Rude's applying the pressure. Oh, Santana's in a bit of trouble here. Joey Morella making sure everything's okay and up to board. Rick Rude now with oh, swiveling the hips in Tito's face. It's a bit. Uh, has great lasting powers and that explosive strength that Rude has made the early momentarily. Rude better leave his showboat outside of the ring when he's in there against the likes of Tito Santana who's coming back again and the crowd's coming right along with him and down goes Rude. Whoa! And 20,000 say yes Tito Santana. Rick Rude now in the corner holding his hands. He's had his fingers stomped on by Tito Santana. Or Chico, as Jesse would call him if Jesse was here. Rick Rude in the corner holding his fingers. 
what's happened over on television. When was this? So this was February 11th. I don't know what date they were. I don't know what we what was happening on TV around this time. So, oh, WWF Superstars was on this was on today. What happened on Superstars? So on Superstars they had uh, Sam Houston versus the Honky Tonk Man, the Bushwhackers versus the Bolsheviks, Tito Santana versus Tim Patson, Big John Studd versus Jim Atkinson, and the Black Knight, Brutus Beefcake against Sid Sharkey. Big John Studd is uh, on the is on the sort of the march to WrestleMania. He won obviously the Royal Rumble back in January, and has really got nothing else to do. So that happened this weekend. Gregory now showing those guns to the crowd. Tito Santana now wants another test of strength. Agreed. No, Bobby Heenan. Um, not entirely sure why. He, no, because when we watched last time, we saw Bobby Heenan wasn't with the Brainbusters. So I'm not entirely sure where Bobby is. Maybe with Andre, because Andre's about with Andre's on the circuit with Jake, so he may be with Andre. So I did look now by Rick Rude. Teacher Santana trying to get out of this anyway, okay? Trying to grab a leg or push the head. Bud Light uh, uh, banner in the in the in the sky and a Winston cigarettes as well. You wouldn't see that nowadays. Tito Santana trying to hammerlock his way out of this. Tito Santana managing strength for strength for Rick Rude at the minute. Rick Rude pulled the hair to get out of that. Rod Trungard and Lord Al on the call, like we said. Crowd fully behind Tito, as you would expect. The 20,000 roaring! And you know for who? Tito Santana! Again! A test of He keeps saying 20,000, but the number I've seen on the history of WWE.com states 15,200. So I don't know where he's getting to 20,000. I don't think the Boston Garden ever held 20,000. So Rick's, Rick Rude's still got this side headlock on. Every time Tito tries to get out of it, Rick, hair, Rick, Rick Rude pulls the hair, even. And wiggling those hips again. Any time he can, he's wiggling the hips or pumping the guns. It's the ravishing one. Joey Morello is uh, right there in the action. Tito Santana with some forearms out of the side of Rick Rude. Gets out of it. Oh, forearm shot to the back. Tito Santana's now stalking Rick Rude in the corner. Big round by Tito. And again by the Mexican superstar. Irish whip corner. Corner now by Tito. Rick Rude goes hard into the corner. Jesus. Made him quiver at the knees. Tito's now got him again and whips him hard again in the corner. Rick Rude in trouble here. Tito now, forearm smash. In the corner again, whips him. Hard in the corner again, third time. Rick Rude come falling out of the corner in the middle of the ring. Tito's now on the back of Rick Rude. Grabs him by the hair. And a reverse chin look on the back. 
camel clutch modification, if you will. Putting all of his weight on the base of the spine. So, ladies and gentlemen, hope you are enjoying my uh, efforts here on the Cronoso. I will be back again uh, next time. But uh, you've got some uh, nice matches to look forward to. The rest of this episode, you've got uh, Brain Busters. Uh, you've got another Brain Busters versus Rockers match. You've got uh, Akeem versus Big John Stud. Uh, Andre versus Tito. You'll also see uh, Savage versus Warrior from this card. So yeah, and then next month we are back. Uh, episode 20, we will be back and we will be covering Brutus Beefcake versus Rick Rude from Saturday night's main event. So that will be happening. And then, like I said, I would imagine we are going to be covering uh, WrestleMania 5 pretty soon here on the Cronoso. So uh, hopefully I'll be able to join you guys for that again. I do like my guest appearances over here on the uh, North-South Connection. Rick Rude again applying the... Sorry, Rick, uh, Tito Santana again applying the... Uh, chin lock by sitting on his back pulling back on Rick Rude's chin Rick Rude's trying to power his way out of this into a uh, press up position and oh Rick turned over, Rick Rude turned over and Tito Santana got nothing but nuts on the knees Tito Santana in uh, whew, trouble there baby both men uh, on their knees crawling on the ropes, Rick Rude Gonna get up. Rick Rude is up. Rick Rude now stalking Santana. Rick Rude now stalking him, and notice he got him up and a reverse atomic drop, right on those nuts, crush nuts, sir. Santana to his feet again. He sees Rude, but Rude drills him. First downstairs, then upstairs. Three times to the head. And back down. Rude now going to swivel the hips. Just, oh, can't quite, not with that bad back. Rick Rude can't quite celebrate as much as he'd like to. Rick Rude now coming back over to Tito. Now reverse chin lock. On the uh, Tequila Native, Tequila Mexico. Rick Rude now got him. Got a lot of got a lot of his weight on the back of Tito. This is very good wrestling on the part of Rude. He weathered that storm with that backbreaker. He waited until that mistake was made by Santana. And once that mistake was made, Rude then had chance of a breather. And now he's putting it to use now the fresh energy he has in that body. Referee. Joey Morello watching closely to make sure it is not a choke. Tito's up and he rams Rude into the corner to break the reverse chin look. But and again, he's now away from Rick Rude, so Rick Rude can't apply that move again. Oh, shot a tackle by Tito in the corner. And again. And again. 
Tito now with an Irish up corner to corner. Back first goes Rick Rude. Oh, Tito came in and he got met by the knee of Rude. Rude still uh, draped on the top rope in the corner. Rick Rude's out slowly climbing up to the top rope. Tito's got his back to Rude. Rude's on top of the top rope and... Oh, hits him. Hits him with a forearm at the back of the head. Tito is down. Tito is down. Rick Rude with the guns. Showing those 22, 24-inch pythons, brother. Rick Rude now slams Tito face first into the canvas. And again... Conditioning to his resiliency. As as far as that's concerned, you can say much the same about Rude as these two have taken turns handing out punishment one to the other. And right now it is Rude going bombs away on Tito Santana. The crowd Rod Trongard here, very uh, eloquently voiced gentleman. Tito Santana down and in trouble, had his head rammed into those turnbuckles numerous times. Rude's now got Santana. Oh, forearm shot. Again. Side of the elbow of Rude's hitting the side of Tito Santana's head. Irish up there by Rude. Ducks down. Oh, he ducked down a bit too soon. Tito grabbed him by the glorious hair and rammed him face first into the ring canvas. Tito's now up. Tito off the ropes. Oh, he went for a splash, but Rude got the knees up. Rude got the knees up. Never seen Tito hit a splash before. <laughs> oh, about the only thing that Rude could do to keep from losing this thing. And now it's Rude again, first to his... Rude stalking a seated Santana. Oh, stomps in the hand. Oh. Rude stalking Santana again. Santana's trying to get to the ropes. Which he does. Oh, Rude turns around here in the, in the gut. Irish up now by Rude. Oh, neat of the gut, neat of the bread basket. Rude. Oh, wipes the sweat of his brow and throws it on a down Santana. One, two, kick out by Chico. Jamie Willow wearing the white socks today. <laughs> Rude picks up Santana. Oh, he's going to go for a suplex, maybe. No, Tito blocks. Rude goes for it again, though. Oh, beautiful suplex there by Tito. Re hurting that back of Rude. Rude in pain, holding on to the ropes. Rude is up. A considerable amount of pain. Picks up Tito. Tito. He's going to slam Tito. He's got him up. He's got him up. Oh, no, that back. That back was doing too much pain. He put Tito down. Back on his feet. Tito's trying to shake off the cobwebs. Tito with a bear hug. A bear hug? Oh, no. Oh, reverse atomic drop by Tito. That's going to injure that back more of Rude. Oh. 
Rick Rude, one of the greatest sellers of an atomic drop ever. I've heard this on numerous podcasts, and they are right. Santana, sorry, Rude now in the back, in the corner, sorry. Santana now with some big right hands, three. Now going to ram Rick Rude into the top turnbuckle. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Oh, what a bump there by Rude. Santana now in control again of this match. It's been a very topsy-turvy match here. Very good match between these two guys. Oh, Rick Rude making an ass of himself. Big right hand by Santana. Oh, left now by Santana. Doing a bit of a Muhammad Ali shuffle there. Oh, face first goes Rude to the mat. Santana signaling for something. Signaling for maybe the figure four. Does he still do the figure four? Does he go for the old... Uh, no. Is he go for... Oh, rings the bell of Rude. Sticks the head in between the legs and then jumps on him. Rude now kicks the leg. Santana kicks the leg again. Kicking the leg away from the leg. Rude is down. Rude is down. Santana's going for that figure four. He's got the leg spinning toe hold and... Figure four, figure four, figure four! Joey Morello is down there asking. Joey Morello is down there checking with Rude. But Rude gets to the ropes. Rude's in the ropes. Rude's in the ropes. The hold has been broken. Rick Rude scurries to the outside to catch his breath for a minute. Well, not a minute because he's only got 10 seconds, but... Oh, Santana from the ring apron. And throws Rude back into the ring. Santana trying to get back in the ring. And a sunset flip by uh, Santana. Drops down, Rude drops down. One, two. He's going to the ropes. Rick Rude wins. Rick Rude wins. Rick Rude wins. Santana went in for the sunset flip. Rude dropped down, covered the shoulders, and then held onto the ropes. We have a winner, ladies and gentlemen. The winner being Rick Rude. Get the official decision. The winner of this match, Ravishing Rick Rude. Oh, no. And it is Tito Santana. Very, very upset with the referee. Joey Morello, however, he called up like he saw it, and you and I will get another look. Well, Santana was very, very indignant with the decision of the referee here, but he shouldn't be because he's been in the ring long enough to know. So, ladies and gentlemen, that has just been Rick Rude versus Tito Santana from February 11th, 1989, Boston Garden. Again, if you want to watch that show, head over to... Uh, you know where, just put in the search bar, WF Boston Garden, February 11th, 1989, and you can watch the whole show. Some of the other matches have been and are being covered on this episode of Chronosto. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. I have been your host on this segment, Mr. Luke Jennings. Please do not forget to follow us on Twitter, at Old Bakery Pro. You can also find the Memphis Continental Wrestling cast, Hamburg All-Stars, Monday Night Project, all over on the place to be. Um, yep, and until next, Chronoso, we'll see you then. Ta-ta! What's going on, Cronoso? This is Mike Rossi, and I am here to cover a match between the Macho Man, Randy Savage, who is the reigning and defending WWF World Champion against the Ultimate Warrior, who is the reigning, also defending, Intercontinental Champion from a house show at the Boston Garden on February 11th, 1989. I was not even five years old at this point. 
about 45 minutes away, wondering what the hell was going on in Boston. No, I wasn't. Um, but Boston Garden, a um, place I'm bummed I never got to get to as a kid. So um, I'm excited to watch matches from the Boston Garden whenever I get the chance. And this is uh, definitely one of them. Now, Savage is out first without Miss Elizabeth, as she is still selling some injuries that were sustained when Akeem the Dream threw Macho Man onto her at the main event just a week prior, not long after the Royal Rumble. Now, Savage is immediately incensed and angry at a few dudes by the ring who have this, like, massive heart cardboard cutout heart that's got Hogan Loves Elizabeth written on it. I thought it was kind of cute. Uh, crowd was was pretty um, animated, and they didn't like Savage very much this night. And um, it, it was cool to actually watch, you know, Savage playing off the house, house show Heel Heat because that happens a lot more and house shows than it does even on TV. So I'm um, really cool to see that. Um, and, you know, you really see a strong heel based off how they work a crowd at a house show. I truly believe that. Um, something to keep an eye on if you've ever been to one. If not, go to one and check that out. It's pretty cool. Anyways, so there is Warrior that then hits the ring. And as he's starting to hit poses in the match, um, or in the ring, I should say, he's on the top rope. Uh, Savage attacks him pretty quick. Um, really just... Savage is still pissed at that guy in the crowd that said Hogan loves Elizabeth. And he just he's taking it out on the Warrior. There's an early flying shoulder um, by the Warrior after he got quick advantage back, which um, led the world champ to retreat. Now, I don't think I mentioned earlier, but this is a title versus title match. As I did mention, both were defending. So it does uh, kind of make sense, but I don't think I ever clarified that. But anyhow... Savage is starting to retreat outside of the ring, and Warrior just chases after him, and eventually military presses Savage back into the ring. Now, Savage keeps begging off and eventually gets control when he does the good old heel trick of rolling into the ring before the babyface. So then when the babyface rolls in, he can put the boots to him. Worked to perfection here because, of course, the Warrior, as normal, is a big fucking dummy. Now, there was a pretty botched spot on a Savage crossbody from the top. Where Warrior was to catch him as he was jumping off the top rope. But they both ended up on their ass. Now Savage ends up in a half-assed tree of woe in the corner. Warrior put some god-awful boots to him. He doesn't even have Savage hooked in the tree of woe well at all. Warrior is then told to back off by the ref. But Warrior instead takes the referee, picks him up, carries him to the other turnbuckle, and just places him on the top rope. Now to me, that's probably a DQ. Because he put his hands on an official. But this is a house show. We're just trying to put smiles on kids' faces. You know what I'm saying? This ends up distracting Warrior just enough so Savage could attack him. Now, after a few back and forth, you know, seesaw advantages, um, Savage is able to get the better of Warrior. And he eventually knees him all the way to the outside. Then he goes to the top rope. Hits a pretty sick-looking double axe handle off the top, of the, uh, top ropes outside of the ring to a standing Warrior. At this point, I'm watching the match and I'm like... Warrior, he's got yellow gear on. Macho has orange tights with yellow boots. Just a, a weird and unfortunate color clash. Like, obviously, this was a, a house show, right? So they probably weren't intending on this being out to the masses. But it was just kind of frustrating. I don't really like that in wrestling when guys match when they're opponents. It's just, there's ways to avoid that, right? So now the crowd's hot for sure, though, regardless of their unfortunate color clash. Um, but you know, the two really start to get into the doldrums of the match. Um, this match all in all stunk, but they settle into a headlock rest stop. Warrior is 
just feeding off the crowd as he's trying to power out of it. He's trying to hulk his way out of there. But Savage just was able to get him back to the mat whenever given the opportunity. And he ends up getting him into another headlock. And then Savage just continues to headlock, punch, headlock, boot, headlock, boot, headlock, boot, just on and on again. Now, Warrior keeps getting out of any pin attempt that Mario that Macho tries on Mario um, during this. I watched too much Mario Brothers with my family. So, anyways, um, Macho Man ends up going to the top and hits another standing axe handle as he ducks Warrior as he stands up again outside of the ring. Now, <laughs> Warrior then hits this fucking ghastly suplex to Macho. It lands so awkwardly. Like, he completely just flung the guy. He didn't have any sort of position of him at all. And then, all of a sudden, Rick Rude just trances on out to the part to the entranceway just standing there shirtless just hitting the most absurd poses like he looked like he was part of like a really bad like fitness like weight lifter like pose off it, it was just horrible warrior is just continuing to hit offense while rude is just hitting the most ridiculous poses at ringside warrior is just so fucking bad offensively in this match all his offense just looks like complete shit they end up picking the pace. Get Warrior ends up kicking out of roll-up with Macho. Macho's got a big handful of tights. And Warrior hits this, like, attempt at what I would really just call, like, Xbox X-Factor. But obviously, like, less, way less cleaner than Xbox ever hit one. Then he hits the ropes with a big splash. Macho gets his knees up. Rude. Now he just, now he's in a different side of the ring. Still hitting poses. The guy just won't stop hitting poses. Warrior... Can't get put away, though, as this match is going on. Now, clearly, Rude's out here to distract the Warrior. Um, but Warrior hasn't paid any notice to him at all. But I don't know how you didn't, because the guy's literally just flexing on the outside of the ring. I would be distracted by it. But, you know, Warrior's obviously coked out of his skull, so he doesn't know. He goes, ends up going for a clothesline. Macho Man ducks. But then Warrior hits a few clotheslines more. Then, all of a sudden, like, three whole real-life minutes after Rude hits ringside... He finally realizes that Rude's there. Finds his way over to him. Warrior really just full-blown went from not even knowing Warrior was, Rude was there at all to having his entire match ruined by Rude's existence. So Warrior leaves the ring, goes after Rude. Rude backpedals, but Warrior's eventually able to get Rude into a choke, which Macho again breaks up with yet another double axe handle to the floor. At that point, the ref calls to the bell, and says Warrior was counted out. There was no way he was out of the ring for 10 seconds. But hey, it's our show, whatever. Now, this was a way shorter period of time than the first time Macho exited the ring, too. Macho was doing laps when the match started for multiple seconds at a time. That didn't draw a count out, but this one did. Hey, it's a finish. Warrior probably fucked it up. Now, Rude ends up hopping in to shake Macho's hand after Warrior ends up retreating. But then Warrior gets hopped back in and starts beating the shit out of both of them. And then he hits the overhead press slam on Rude. And then Macho helps Rude out of the ring. And they just take off to the back. And Warrior celebrates with the crowd, even though he didn't win shit. But he also didn't lose his title either. So, all in all, it was a fun time watching this match. I think it sucked. So I probably wouldn't go back and watch it again. But, you know, it was at the Garden. So it's history. All right, guys. Merry Christmas. Have a good one. Later. Hello, this is Tim Slavka for Cornoso. Uh, I have the privilege of saying the Brain Brusters versus the Rockers from the, t from the Superstars on February 18th, 1989. This was recorded on January 24th, 1989. 
this might be one of the quickest <laughs> reviews of all time in Cronoso history. Uh, so we get Shawn Michaels and Marty Jenny versus the Brain Busters, uh, Arne Anderson, Tolly Blanchard. Um, and I got this match, but there isn't a match uh, for it. So this will be pretty quick. So, uh, you know, as we come back from the WrestleMania announcements, uh, they on the superstars, they make announcements for some of the big matches for WrestleMania 5. We're talking about... Uh, Warrior and Rude's been signed. The tag team title match has been signed. Uh, Big John Studd being a, which was kind of shocking. The Big John Studd they were going to announce as a special referee, so they, so he must have done something at the Rumble that this quickly they're already calling him out of action. Uh, we get the Macho Man versus Hulk Hogan. So we're getting this crazy buildup. We come back from commercial, and Vince and Jesse say, you know, we got this amazing tag team match coming up between the Rockers and Brain Busters. Um, Brain Busters are in the ring, kind of lame. They don't have entrance music. This is the weird time in 1989 where not everyone has entrance music. So we kind of get them in the ring, and then we get the Rockers coming out. Big pop for the Rockers. They're coming out fast. And immediately, as the be- uh, before even the bell hits, uh, immediately both teams check each other. Great start up. You got Bobby Heenan out there, uh, some chaos. And uh, both teams just go at each other. They uh, All four guys go outside the ring. Marty Gennetti does like an awesome run, jumps on the second step and flies at Arn Anderson. Uh, Tony Blanchard kind of gets thrown in the crowd. Like it's it's chaos for about thirty seconds, and then the referee, a couple guys, uh, Shawn Michaels gets in the ring. Um, we kind of get an announcement from Jesse at this time saying this might be a double DQ. The ref can't get a hold of it. It's Joey Morella who just isn't really giving a good effort at it. And a couple seconds later, just uh, just counts them out, and we we get uh, basically a no contest. Um, and they they I don't they, they say no contest because neither team really got in the ring, and the bell never rang. So. Clearly setting up a feud uh, would have been an awesome match. I hope they fight again in a more realistic match. It's kind of weird that we go Rockers Twin Towers at, at Mania, uh, but it kind of makes sense uh, that this must have been the house show feud. Uh, but it was fun action. Obviously, Marty and and Sean at this time are really flying high. They're in a good in a good position, and uh, it really looked like it could have been a fun match. I had no idea going into this, so unless I watched it and. All of, sudden, all of a sudden, the clip of Demolition hit, and I go, did I miss the match? Uh, so really one of those quick matches. Um, you can't even give it a grade, uh, but a little disappointing if you turn it, turned in this week for this is the marquee match and kind of left with a you know, two-minute six. So uh, obviously, the Rockers really were growing. They're really strong, big over, and you know, definitely put over the Brain Busters as a strong new team with uh, you know, their, their friend Bobby the, Heenan, Bobby the Brain Heenan out there as well. Um, so my name is Tim Slavka. You know, I'm on this Cronoso, uh, every other, every other week on Cronoso monthly. And then also, uh, new gen admission every other Tuesday on North South Connection uh, with JP Survivor Series 92 to Survivor Series 97. Uh, so I'll see you again in two weeks as we build the final build to WrestleMania five. Can't wait. Thanks a lot for joining us. Thanks for listening to review and I'll talk to you in a few weeks. All right. It's JAD here with some wrestling challenge action from February 19th, 1989, from uh, Phoenix, Arizona, the Veterans Memorial Coliseum. Little uh, Honky Tonk Man versus Jim the Anvil Nightheart. And uh, uh, the best duo of all time, Gorilla and Brain, on the wrestling challenge action here as uh, Axon. Jesus, what's going on here? It must be one of those nights. Uh, Anyway, uh, Honky Tonk Man gets introduced first, and uh, the gorilla w- was trying to set a brain for a little, a little Mike McGurk action, but uh, I was a little disappointed. Uh, didn't, didn't get a classic Mike M- McGurk uh, zinger. The, the, there's so many good ones that the brain has got, but uh, nothing here. Uh, maybe next time. 
Anyway, uh, Anvil uh, gets a nice uh, pop from the crowd for his intro, and he attacks right away, and Honky does his usual bailing out and, uh, and stalling uh, technique. Uh, typical uh, Memphis uh, that he learned from Jerry Lawler. And uh, the, the brain on uh, commentary is uh, stirring up uh, trouble with the Hart Foundation, saying uh, that they're no good without Jimmy Hart, and uh, they're doing these solo matches because they don't like each other, and et cetera. Brain trying to stir the pot, but uh, it's not affecting Anvil in the ring. Anvil's dominating early with uh, his power moves, and uh, they, they go outside, and then uh, Honky gets the advantage because uh, Jimmy Hart nails Anvil in the back with the megaphone, and... Uh, setting up uh, hockey for a couple minutes of uh his uh stalling and uh not not stalling but his uh punches and basic uh, uh action doesn't look too devastating but uh still An- anvil sells it well and uh yeah, as they're talking uh, r- right away gorilla in the, in the brain uh, lost kind of lost interest as they're uh, hyping the big uh, wrestlemania 5 uh, matches uh talking about macho man and uh, hulk and the the elizabeth saga and all that and uh, meanwhile, in the ring, uh, Anvil regains control uh, with his power moves, the big football tackle, a power slam, and uh, then they go back and forth. And, uh, and just as the, the brain says, uh, oh, it, it takes Honky about uh, 10 minutes to warm up. And just as he says that, Anvil gets Honky into a big uh, bear hug. And who comes in? That, uh, the, uh, the more famous uh, person, the gorilla, would say uh, it takes 15 minutes to warm up as uh, the hammer uh, comes in to save Honky from the uh, bear hug. And uh, for a couple minutes, they get a nice uh, double team. Uh, hammer puts... Anvil in the uh, figure four, uh, putting him in a lot of pain. And uh, it took a couple minutes, but eventually uh, here comes the hitman to uh, to save his partner. Uh, setting up the big uh, WrestleMania five uh, match between uh, uh, Honky and Honky and the Hammer, Rhythm and Blues versus uh, the Heart Foundation. Uh, so a good good little setup here. This is uh, February, so we're still a month and a half away, but they were announcing matches earlier here and, and getting set up into business for, for Mania season. So uh, not not much to this uh, with Honky and Anvil. You're not going to get you know a five-star classic, but uh, it was what it was, and uh, it was a good thing to set up the, uh, the Mania match on the uh, undercard there. So this J.A.D. signing off. Uh, peace out. N- nice to get a little wrestling challenge action in. Uh, a little, little mix it up there. Talk to you later. All right, Cardoso, we are back with a special guest, Drew Wardlaw. What's going on, buddy? Ooh, not much. Excited about this match tonight. Can't wait. Ooh, you and Drew, last live watching, is this beautiful man right here. Ravishing the food versus British Survivor Weekdays from the February MSP 1989. Have you ever seen this match, Drew? Never. And, and what's more, I I have seen very little 1989 WWF. So this oh, is really? uh, this is exciting for me. Yeah. It's a very historically good year in the WWF. Yeah. It's uh, so me me and a couple friends of mine. They grew up. Actually, they're both from Boston. Um, well, guys, I bet. <laughs> sure, yes. But they they grew up as WWF guys. I grew up as a WCW guy, so I've just, I haven't watched a lot of this stuff. So so we've been 
uh, the three of us have been watching some uh, classic cards together. So whenever like this era comes up, it's it's always really exciting for me. So what kind of what era are you guys watching? Like chronologically or just randomly? Just we'll we'll watch anything. So any promotion, you know. But it, mostly it ends up being WCW and, and WWF. So, okay. If they yeah. if, if they feel like watching their era, they'll watch them WWF. You feel like watching your area, WCW. That's cool. So, um, yeah. this kind of right up the alley. This is again, two people you would kind of have bad reputations in a way. Root's a great worker, as you would know. Some of his better work is in WCW in the early nineties. Oh well, yeah. Not so much at WCW, <laughs> but he's he's a historically. <laughs> Uh, how do we put this um, nepotism? <laughs> right, sure. Nepotism. But I don't yeah. know. This is when I was kind of organizing Cronoso. I felt I looked at this. It kind of stuck out like a sore thumb. Yeah. I watched it and I'm like, this is low key, kind of good. I'm putting it on Cronoso and live watch it. Fuck it. So well, that's what we I mean, here. yeah, yeah. I'm excited to see because yeah. So I mean, you know, my my first. Uh, exposure to rick rude obviously was was wcw in, in 92 so and i've seen like um so what have i seen you know what i've seen um SummerSlam 89 that's the i've seen that full show and that's okay. a good show yeah so you know that's that's uh, a good rick rude match he's taking hogan versus macho and zeus of course so, so here it comes we favorite, got what's your favorite rude WCW early '90s match. Oh, fa fa ha has to be uh, the Iron Man match with the uh, Steamboat okay. at Beach Blast '92. Yeah, as far as singles matches, yeah, that's that's it. Awesome match. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So him. why did WCW? Why was your eye more keen to WCW back in the day? Was it like accessibility or more connection? What, what do you know? What do you think so? It was just the first thing I saw, and, and I, I had a weird, uh, like I, so I saw that and and I thought, oh well, that's what wrestling is. And I was I was still aware of uh, like Hulk Hogan because he's such a transcendent guy. I probably like Macho Man too. I knew those names, but I. I did, I never made the connection that oh I could watch other wrestling. It just didn't it never occurred to me to watch it. So, you know, I didn't see WWF until I I mean, a little bit at my cousin's house at like 1993 maybe. 93 94 and then cuz I remember the, seeing the Steiners in WWF and thinking, oh, well, I thought they were in WCW. But then then I, I really actually saw like a, you know, more w, WWF in, I don't know, 90s. Right. little technical difficulty, but we're back. You saw the Steiners at your cousin's house. Yeah. And, and you, you're very loyal to WCW and you're very naive to the WWE. And you, you're confused. Is that where we're at? Yeah, yeah, I saw I saw the Steiners on WWF TV, and I didn't understand uh, because they I had seen them in WCW, but again, it just never occurred to me that like I could just watch WWF too, and so that it wasn't until like 1996 maybe that I, I started watching a little more WWF. Still didn't watch a ton of it though, but um, yeah, I was always a, a WCW guy. Now what's sorry, what's on Rude's trunks? There. 
This is a house show, so it could be. So this is 89. I'm assuming that's someone's wife. Um, <laughs> he's in the midst of the warrior feud, so I'm not really right. necessarily sure. There's a lot of stuff going on here if you have it out live watching it. But a lot of gyrations, some low-key booning, um, Chippendales. Yeah, There's a lot going on here. Drew. It's it's the good stuff. Only the good stuff. The, this is the, the the sport right here. So okay, so Ryan, you're you're a Boston guy, right? I'm a Boston guy. Um, yep, I'm Boston, Worcester. Um, so I'm Central Mass. Uh, I'm I'm about four years old here. Uh, I, I'm I'm 38 at the, right now, so I'm about I'm in my child phase here. I got the Hasbro's. I, I'm watching. I'm not remembering pretty much. I know what wrestling is. I'm very aware of it. I'm obsessed with it, but I'm I'm not like I don't remember the day to day grind of this yet. Did Did you ever go to shows at uh, the Boston Garden? Uh, yeah, I went more uh, like the Worcester Auditorium or the Worcester Centrum at the time, which is now the DCU. So I don't really think I went to Boston Garden until I was an adult and I could go myself. But I definitely recall, you know what? My biggest remembrance is seeing Tugboat and uh, Lex Luger when Lex Luger would like, oh. take the wave the flag. I was yes. like, oh, pick me, but it's all you predetermined. <laughs> you know what I mean? But uh, I definitely remember Tugboat. And I remember Lex Luger as the flag. So I'm thinking 92, 93. Yeah, awesome. Best yep. years of the company. So <laughs> I remember seeing Hulk. And um, I remember definitely going to like a superstar taping and reaching over it and grabbing Bret Hart's arm. So that's very cool. But that's, that's um, cool. That, that's very cool. I've been searching yeah. and searching superstars, but I, I'm not you know what year. <laughs> how, how about you, Drew? Are you in California, West Coast, growing up? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Central Coast of California is where I grew up. Okay. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. So are you uh, are you a football fan? We're watching this during the, the Raiders shellacking the San Diego or the L.A. Chargers. <laughs> so it is currently no, forty nine to seven. <laughs> oh boy! Yeah, no, I'm actually I'm not a not a big football guy. I like it, but it, it's just uh, it's a time thing for me. I don't have the time or the energy for it. <laughs> but I, I do. I would love to. You know what I would love to do is I would love to see a, a Raiders game in Las Vegas. I think that would be pretty cool. We did. Go, I did go to SummerSlam there. It was <coughs> stadium's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I've, I've seen the stadium. I haven't been inside of it though. But yeah, it, it seems it seems awesome. Like a great venue yeah, for it's anything. VR. It's like Darth Vader. Yeah, so cool. <coughs> Struggling here, Drew. We're, we're, through we're, we're working through it, Drew. That's what we do here at Cronosa. We work through the the, the 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 nerve holes and everything. Oh, look, like the boys are working through a test of strength right here. Look at Beefcake. Oh. Those kiddos, and strikes weren't, weren't too bad. No. This is – see, I love I love a test of strength. Nothing nothing beats it. it my, my feeling overall in Beefcake, working standpoint, he's a very good tag worker. It's just – he's so boring and – like he has one speed, he has one one trick, but he more he's more of a shine in attack. Like the dream team's a great team. Yeah. Um Valentine does the grunt work, beefcake's I'm gonna do the hot work, get some shine. But no, no, beefcake's okay. He's a, he's so hated, he's low-key underrated, but he's he's, 
he's just so bad. <laughs> you know I mean? Like I'm contradicting what I'm saying, but it's so like. But you 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 love him, right? You love him. I think I had a, a, a fondness because I liked him as a kid, but you know, a 38 year old Ryan would probably go slap six six year old Ryan for cutting and strutting around the living room every day of the week here. But uh, I don't know. He's okay. He does a few. A few things he does is okay. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, I, I think I think they're working this match like pretty good. Like it's yeah. it, they're they're doing what they're supposed to do. You know, look at <laughs> Beefcake. Well, he wants another test of strength. Well, that's he knows what he's good at. He's stronger than Rude. Rude's slender and quicker. Beefcake got the beef. Did you know Linda McMahon gave him that nickname or that ring name? Beefcake. Whoa, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, What's the story behind that? that? I believe Linda McMahon gave her the the you know he's look at him he looks like a million bucks and he she he reminded her as a Chippendale dancer so he's a beefcake so he's he's Brutus beefcake you know he's yeah. before the barber so I think uh, she she had a wandering eye and and Brutus had the physique to kind of satisfy that wandering eye. <sighs> Linda McMahon, they, that's that's an alternate uh, an alternate universe there. Linda McMahon gets together with Brutus the Barber Beefcake. So speaking of Brutus and, and speaking of Boston, did you ever hear of the uh, 2003 Brutus the Barber Beefcake working the side job, side gimmick uh, story? No, no. What's that? <laughs> All right. So we're in 2003, past 9-11. And uh, Anthrax, not the band. I think yeah. your Black Sabbath uh, shirt yeah, on, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Anthrax, the 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 chemical powder, white mm -hmm. looking, similar to cocaine, uh, is a thing. Um, <laughs> very popular, very big in 03. Yep. So um, as my junior year in high school, not not a drug guy, but I can attest to remember an Anthrax, and Beefcake um, is a toll collector. A toll collector is. You know, oh. you, you work, you work the highway, and you, the guys drive up. They give you a dollar. They give you yeah. your quarters. You make your change, whatever. Okay, so, this this is this is sounding familiar now. Yeah, go go on, go on. So you know, it's it's a it's a pretty good job. It's a state job. You know, the Mass Pike pays very. The Massachusetts big tax state pays pretty well. I'm sure it's a pretty decent gimmick for a retired wrestler who doesn't mm -hmm. really have much life skills, really, right? <laughs> right. So. You know, big beefy guy. You no know, one's gonna really fuck with you. Yeah, everyone's gonna give you your scratch, give you some respect, whatever. The beefcake's over there. Again, a little some white substance on his counter, right? As he's collecting the tolls. Sure. Perhaps. And, uh, I, I guess they do a spot check or whatever, and they shut down the mass pipe because I think they have anthrax in his booth. <laughs> yada yada yada. One boy was sniffing coke on the job, and mm. he. Uh, he shut down the mass pike or whatever. Now I'm not 100 percent like I might have missed a few steps, but that's pretty much the gist of it. They, they had an anthrax scare in Boston because Beefcake was doing coke in his toby. Incredible. So okay, so so now did he uh, he got fired? I assume. I don't think he comes back from that one, buddy. <laughs> that's a tough. That's a tough one. I mean, now it's a state job. That's that's probably a union represented there. So they, you know, it's hard to get fired from a public sector, but. <laughs> If you need union representation representation in Massachusetts, 
I'm your guy as president of the Plumbers and Pipefitters Union. Look at I'm you. Your, I'm your guy if you need union representation in Massachusetts. There you go. Okay, okay. Absolutely. So so are all state jobs uh, union represented? No. Do you no? Uh, it, I don't I don't know if the toll actually I well here's the thing. The toll the toll booth is kind of a not a job anymore they were they were downsized hmm. because every you know everything's fast pass now you drive right. through you get your license plate and you have your meters in your car whatever everything's cashless you're not really collecting quarters or whatever so that hmm. you're kind of laid off at this point or a very small percentage of the toll booth companies are repositioned into different state jobs but then again someone like beefcake who's only 55 years old if you're not fired from sniffing anthrax or coke, whatever you want to call it, in your, in your full loop, I'm sure that you know you would look at the numbers and everything. And you, he, unfortunately, he probably would have gotten laid off at the time and had to find different work as the world changes. Yeah, sure. Well, thank you. Thank you. That's a good. So we don't really have toll booths out here. So that, that's a that's a good lesson for me. I, I appreciate that. We're learning about toll booths here on Chronosel. Yeah, hey, we in Massachusetts we move hard and fast on the, on the pike. You know, what I mean that's so weird. It's a lot of congestion, a lot of gridlock. I'm sure you're you're very familiar with gridlock too in, in California, but uh, not as much gridlock now that uh, toll booths aren't necessarily a thing. You can kind of keep traffic moving. We could use some California four or five lane highways. We're still kind of congested. <laughs> yeah, that Boston uh, Boston traffic. Not not a great thing. LA traffic also not a great thing. We besides the coasts, we got a lot in common there. You know, we got the coast, the ocean, and terrible gridlock traffic. Absolutely. Now, what do you? Are you a beach guy? Do you go to the beach a lot out there? Uh, unfortunately, I, I don't. My wife would would prefer me to be a wheat beach guy, but uh. Kind of not. I'm kind of kind of a asshole, and the beach makes me angry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind it. I think I I think I was traumatized at an early age, getting like getting all like pulverized with the sun at the beach by the early age. It's an ordeal. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an ordeal. Sand everywhere. It's it's a lot. You like the beach though? I don't know. It's it's all right. I go because you know go to the family with to the beach I, I i play along but it's 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 not my favorite but you know it's it's good in the summer we, we live in a beach town so it, it's not not too far but my yeah, daughter likes like, it and... a lot of the summers i spent on cape cod with my grandparents and i don't i don't think they believe in sunscreen so i i'm probably that's probably has a lot to do with it <laughs> right no back then it's you you got to get a good burn early in the summer so then you got a good tan for the rest of the time well i'm irish Oh. I'm Irish, so you know it's not too fair on my skin there. No. You know, yeah. Well, here we are. We're we're about forty percent headlocks in this match in here, but that this headlock is deep as Ravishing Recruit is, you know, he's Randy Orton like headlock here, midst of the ring here. He's working it. He's working yeah. it, but uh, it's uh, it's okay. It's been we've been more talking about bullshitting, a little bit about beefcake, a little bit about coke. But uh, mostly about Boston and California life. But uh, this match is fine. Maybe I overhyped yeah. it a bit. But <laughs> yeah, at the end, the antics. Yeah, you'll you'll see the antics where it's kind of fun. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for the end. Now, I will say, 
I really enjoyed the beginning. I, I like I like the antics and stuff at the beginning. So I like a test of strength. I like a lockup, all of that. Uh-oh. Beefcake could be out here. Let's see. Nah. Oh. Now look at that. Look at that Roid belly, though. He ain't popping out. He ain't getting out there, though. That's a, that's a, that's a rough angle for Brutus to bother Beefcake with it. What I will say, though, commitment to the gimmick where he's powering up, hulking up from his – stealing a little, little little thunder from his buddy hulking up here, but he's got his two struts up living the gimmick as he, uh, as he Beefcake's up here. <laughs> Gonna sell those foam figures, man. It's attention to detail. So I know you're a WCW head, and let's kind of put that to use here as we okay. can, as we continue to talk about Beefcake. Which was your favorite Beefcake alias, we'll call it, or uh, whatever in WCW? Oh, um, it, I, I was so <laughs> I, I was confused a lot as a child, but all the it was all so confusing to me. I mean, I guess. Maybe Zodiac, just because the he kind of the face paint was kind of cool. Yeah. So I don't know. I I'll say Zodiac. There were so many good ones though. The Booty Man. Uh, Booty Man, of course. Of, a mix of Diamond Dallas Page, mix of Burns Barbie Case, and Johnny B. Bad is the Booty Man. Uh, With the high the, the high knee. Yeah, the, the disciple. Yeah, maybe the disciple. The disciple with the painted on beard. That that was. <laughs> That was that was maybe the most confusing because it, it took That's, me a little I, bit to figure it out. Did you see that there with the with the uh, pumping the brakes there? I did appreciate that for Moon. Yeah, beefcake out of position, of course, but um, <laughs> I, I did love that for Moon there. These strikes are strong, man. Brian yeah. Root's good. Root's good. Root is good. He just gets too much too much hate because the resume is a little kind of kind of weak. Yeah. Yeah, it's he's but man, that that '92 run—it's like the first half of the year. He's like the best in the world. Yeah, I haven't watched. Geez, I don't think I've watched that Steamboat match since from Beach Blast that you mentioned since like the network came out. I think I threw that on. I was like, I gotta watch this. This, but uh, man, I haven't watched that in like ten years. Yeah. Oh, awesome! Absolutely incredible. I don't know, but he's like, would okay? Would you say that this is a this is a rude carry job? Uh, pro, it's house show. Do you think they're calling it, or do you think you think they're calling it out there, or do you think they, how much detail you think they're going into? Oh, I I think they're they're totally calling it. I I don't know yeah. when I don't know when that that started, like the real heavy uh, kind of scripting of the matches, but yes. I, I I would bet that. So they, it's definitely I, a rude carry job for the most okay. part. You can kind of tell too by he's setting the pace, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, I always have trouble a lot of times. Every now and then I can catch catch it, but I, I, a lot of times it's hard for me to see, like, oh, okay, this guy's really the one leading the match. Yeah. But, you know, I, yeah. I mean, by Rude's, nature, the heels do. They So they say back right. in the day the heels will usually carry it. But they, Yeah, really they'll call the match, the right? Yeah, Rude's really doing great with uh, the mannerisms here late. Yeah, look at, well, yeah, I mean, look at, look at that. Franticness is great. The crowd's coming, too. The crowd's, the crowd's fantastic at the end. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's, yeah. He's just, okay. I wouldn't mind Beefcake can... getting his midsection a little closer there, so it looks like he's really gripping it instead he looks lazy there, you know what I mean? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Little things. But, that, but that's, that's it, right? It's like, like Rick Rude, he's really selling it. 
he's making the big gestures and everything, and that's kind of making up for maybe the uh, the slightly loose uh, headlock there or sleeper hold. And it's a signature move. You think that the boy would be good at it by now? You know what I mean? But uh, total rude carry job here. It's not over yet. Bobby oh. Bobby puts the rope the foot on the rope there. There he is. Good fire. <laughs> Look at him. So this is parasailing accidents. Probably what next summer? Oh, I I don't I don't know. I thought it was um... ninety. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's ninety. Oh, is it ninety? Is Ooh, it that early? That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, I thought I thought because when does he do the Mariner? Oh, I got a cat up here. When does he do oh the Mariner? Uh, the Mariner thing where he has the mask, the Mariner mask. Oh, he when he comes back in '93, but he's parasailing. He he's gone for a while. Oh, oh, it was that long. It was it was multiple yeah. years. Wow. Okay, and he comes he back and. He comes back and a fan tells him to kill himself. <laughs> During an episode of Raw or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, so I, I that's light right there. Like Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> Decent little match. Decent house show match. The fans got into it. Yeah. Uh, gentlemen, yeah. two and a half. Four and a half? Two and a half. Come oh, on. okay. A gentleman's say, wow, two and a half. Gentleman's two and a half. I thought it was fun. Two guys we haven't. Uh, Root's kind of new to Cardoso. Every chance I can get to talk about him in a glowing light, I will here. All right, you think we're going to get the scissors here? Is there any chance we're going to get him cutting and strutting? Okay, let's see. On a house show? <laughs> no chance. No. <laughs> Good to see Bobby here on the house show, though. He's not always there. No, no. That they used to the old the old managers. They wouldn't really stay out for the matches. They just kind of walk the guys out and head back to the back, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, or they wouldn't even travel to the house shows. The wrestlers go themselves. Oh, okay, because th this is MSG, you said, right? Yeah. Oh, oh, look at that roll up. So sloppy. Come on. Yeah, crazy. that's not. <laughs> they're out here for 19 minutes it was um two and a half that was, you know, a, it's than, that was a 19 minute match mm -hmm. so i i will say i mean uh, now this could be just because we were we were talking and stuff but that that didn't feel like 19 minutes i would have said 12 minutes maybe yeah, it's what, well, we talked a lot through the rest holes. Yeah. We talked right. a lot through the bullshit. <laughs> like you said early, they started off good. It, yeah. The work was tight, but you got, you got your beefcake rest hold. You got your be your rude rest hold. You got the stalling. You got the bullshit. I but at the I, end, the, the I final love, five I minutes was strong. Yeah. yeah. I, I love the stalling. The rest the rest yeah. holds or whatever. That's that's whatever. But I, I love stalling. I love it. Well, Root's so good at the small things that it, it, it fits mm. like a glove, you know? Yeah. And beefcake with his cutting and strutting and whatnot. I don't know. Two and a half. I thought it was totally fine. It's a completely serviceable house show match. The crowd liked it. That's all you need. We're just looking for an excuse to talk about Brutus the Barber Beefcake and Rick Root. But ultimately, Drew. 
I was looking for an excuse to bring you on here to Cronoso. Hey. This is your debut episode, your debut here. <laughs> what did you think? Anything you plug as we get out of here? Anything you'd like to plug as we get out of here? Oh, plugs? Nah, not right now. But th- thanks a lot for having me. I-, I had a lot of fun. I, I appreciate you asking me on. Would yeah, love to be sure. back. Well, we will... Uh, we're just going to start sprinkling here on the YouTube. And uh, this is the first introduction on it. If you haven't saw Chad and Hughes doing the number two War Games review for about a month or so ago. You guys had number two on the War Games countdown. 1991, you guys reviewed that match. A little bit more of your element with the WCW, Drew. But uh, we're going to have to drag you out and kind of shake you off and get you in the, in the YouTube more often than not. Absolutely. I'd love it. All right, guys, we will see you on the next block of Cronoso, and uh, check it out, guys. All right, I'm back, and shittier than ever. Thanks, Ryan. It's J.A.D. here, and uh, tonight we're in the Mecca, Madison Square Garden in New York City, my home office, uh, February 20th, 1989. And yeah, I know, most of the listeners are anti-New York, uh, friggin' haters, uh, Jadrules, saying, uh, oh, why is uh, the Madison Square Garden called the Mecca, where they uh, have the uh, shitty teams like the Knicks and the Rangers, who've hardly won any championships in uh, 200 years, and... uh, Yes, I know. I've been th- I've been there many times, uh, seen a lot of them losses. As a matter of fact, I see some Knicks on my uh, screen taking in a tailpipe as usual. Uh, one of those nights, but who cares? Uh, the Mecca uh, for for you uneducated masses, it's 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 more of a gathering. It doesn't say anything about that it has to have uh, you know a place where the best teams play and all that. It's just a, a, a famous gathering. Uh, so look up what the definition of Mecca is. Uh, uh, anyway, Mecca these nuts. All right, let's go. We got a uh, big John Stud coming off his triumphant, magnificent Royal Rumble victory. Uh, what a thrill that was. And uh, he's taking on Akeem, the African dream, uh, in a big man battle here. Uh, over a thousand pounds of weight in this one. Uh, the Too Big Gorilla wasn't on commentary. We got Ron, uh, Ron Trongard, and we got the Lord, Alfred Hayes. Uh, and uh, the, as uh, as a uh, big John Studd enters the ring to a nice uh, pop from the uh, garden crowd, who uh, still uh, respected him. Uh, big John Studd uh, been in the game since uh, since the early '80s, and uh, this is the '89. Uh, so a big comeback for him, and and I like how Ron and uh, and and Lord they they got over this. This is his first appearance since October of '86. They were accurate with the dates. Uh, usually they. Uh, they fudge stuff and, and mess around and you know, make up stuff. But uh, this is Big John Studd's uh, return as a face. So all the other times it was as, was as a heel. He told Bobby Heenan to, to go screw. And uh, as a matter of fact, the match is already set for WrestleMania five with uh, Jake the Snake versus Andre. And, uh, and Big John Studd's a referee. Not exactly a, a, a big... Uh, a big spot coming off the uh, the big Royal Rumble victory. Uh, you figured he'd have a match, but uh, I, as we'll see, I guess they're, they're trying to set up a business later, which uh, doesn't quite work out. But anyway, uh, as, as Akeem uh, and BJS uh, in the ring, uh, Stud uh, takes his time taking off his jacket while Akeem's uh, strutting and jiving. 
uh, getting over his uh, African heritage moves. <laughs> and uh, so they finally get ready to get down to business. And uh, first of first thing is what I like is Stud gets over his height advantage uh, as uh, he, he, he challenges Akeem to the test of strength and he lifts his uh, hand up high and uh, Akeem can't reach that far and uh, Akeem kind of backs off there. So eventually they lock up and uh, Stud knocks Akeem down and as as Al and uh, Ron pump up the, the big uh, WrestleMania five match with with uh, Big John Stud's uh, big refereeing uh, duties, <laughs> I don't I don't know how you, you can get psyched for that. But anyway, uh, they they fail to mention uh, you know, if if you want to get it get over at least mention his big win at the Rumble, although you know it wasn't really. Uh, uh, praised uh, went over kind of like a fart in church, but uh, at least Alan Ron they they should have uh, pump, pumped it up that that he won it, but there's no mention of it here. So Big John Stud uh, dominates with forearms and clotheslines, and uh, one good one in the corner uh, as Stud is, is hammering away. Uh, Akeem sprays a waterfall of spit and saliva. I'm sure somebody in the first couple rows got. Got a little, uh, got squirted, uh, not, not the way they wanted. <laughs> and uh, Akeem had some brief uh, brief offense with uh, punches and elbows, and uh, he tried to slam him, but uh, uh, Stud's still uh, getting over his gimmick from uh, 1981 uh, that, that he can't be slammed, and uh, as, as Stud uh, st- stopped a couple slams. And uh, and uh, Akeem did hit a leg drop when, when he got Stud, stud down, but uh, no slams, and... Uh, but mostly, uh, Stud dominated this with forearms, mostly forearms, clotheslines, not a, v- a varied uh, offense from the BJS. Looked slow, meandering. Uh, he, all he had was the height. Uh, the body obviously, uh, you know, he w- wasn't kept up. But obviously, he was a, he was a Vince favorite. Vince gave him another shot here, but he he did get the uh, the respectable uh, uh, pop from MSG. But the the actual match itself didn't re- didn't really have much heat. And uh, they both roll outside, and uh, as a as a quick double count out, uh, a real real uh, quick ten count, and 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 uh, both uh, got nailed for the double count out. And the MS Street crowd was not feeling this. Uh, they, you know, they they want uh, they want finishes, uh, they want pinfalls and, and finishes. They definitely don't want that double count out. So Big John Stubb uh, grabs the mic and uh, challenges Akeem to get back in here and. Uh, and and he's telling the crowd, "You want to see me slam him?" And uh, and uh, gotta give him credit, even even though uh, uh, Stud's return here, definitely you could see was flat, but the 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 crowd was was still giving him respect and was still into it. And uh, Akeem, despite uh, Slickster's uh, uh, advice, uh, he reluctantly uh, gets get gets back in, and uh, uh, Stud quickly uh, throws him into the into the ring and uh, quickly slams him and uh, to a big pop of the crowd. So. At least uh, they give the crowd something to be happy with, but otherwise uh, there's not much to this, and uh, the 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 criticisms of uh, Big John Stud winning the Rumble and uh, his re- his return here, his lackluster return here, you you can really see it. Uh, there's not much to write home about here, so and it's always good to see a, an MSG match and a nice MSG crowd, but uh, not not much to this here. Uh, with uh, Akeem and Big John Stud. So it's Johnny D signing off. Catch you later. Hello, Cronoso. I am Ryan Everett, and tonight we will be looking at 
Mr. Perfect versus the Red Rooster from Superstars of Wrestling on February 25th, 1989. So at this point, we're kind of at the end of what I would call like beta version Mr. Perfect, where he's still Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning. He still has the just basic tights, you know, not this at WrestleMania 5 is when he, I think, debuts the wrestling tights that he's more familiar with. And it's kind of like the full version of Mr. Perfect. I think after that, in that match, I'm sure Ventura calls him Henning a few times, but after that, it's pretty much strictly Mr. Perfect. So here he's still kind of in that transition. And the man he's facing is someone that, you know, his career will be forever linked in WWF because supposedly they met the same day in the Red Rooster, Terry Taylor, and... Surprisingly, though, in this match, you know, looking at where their both of their careers would go, this is actually a point when Red Rooster's getting more of a push than Mr. Perfect, because this is shortly after the Red Rooster uh, broke up with Bobby Heenan, who was originally his manager, and so in at this time, just at this time, Bobby Heenan had started palling around with the Brooklyn Brawler, promising, showing. That he could make anyone a star, just like he could have done with the Red Rooster if he had listened to him. So this is... We actually get an inset promo from the Brooklyn Brawler as the match begins. And, you know, kind of a big the big star match on the Superstars to start the show. And, yeah, the Brooklyn Brawler has an inset promo talking about how he's upset that the Red Rooster has an article in the WWF magazine. Because that's something that we needed to know how the Brooklyn Brawler felt about that. So kind of a typical match to start. You know, each guy gets a little flurry here and there. And then about two minutes in, Bobby the Brain Heenan and the Brooklyn Brawler come out as Terry Taylor gains the advantage. And, you know, this is kind of... It goes back and forth. It's not a very long match. Not, uh, you know, something you think that you could see... These two going at it a little bit longer, but they really don't. And after a certain point, Perfect knocks down uh, the Red Rooster, and the Brooklyn Brawler just comes over and starts beating him up and then goes outside the ring and just fights with him for about 30 seconds. And in full view, the, the ref's counting out, counting out the Red Rooster as the Brooklyn Brawler just assaults him, which is kind of funny. And this is the Brooklyn Brawler at this point is wearing... Just a ripped navy blue Yankee shirt, and he's still wearing his blue wrestling tights, which is kind of a funny visual. He's not yet in the, the ripped jeans that would become his trademark. And Terry Taylor eventually knocks him, takes care of him, and then goes back in the ring and attacks uh, Mr. Perfect, who is celebrating his countout victory. And Terry Taylor kind of does his cockwalk or whatever you want to call it but yeah it's an okay match it's really short it's the whole video itself was about five minutes but that's so the match itself was probably about four minutes count on victory for mr perfect this is they know uh the red rooster's first defeat as a since he has broken up with bobby heenan but yeah okay match We'll see more of these two in the future. Bye. 
Hey now, Steve Bennett here, Cronoso, back after the last episode, the YouTube video I did with Scott Criscola. Check it out on the North South YouTube page. I want to thank Ryan Everett for flipping it over to me. Uh, Richie's waiting on deck. But quickly first, it's Andre the Giant versus Tito Santana and uh, Mr. Powers on Superstars of Wrestling. February 25th, 1989, and Vince McMahon, right off the bat, mentions it's been a while since Andre the Giant has wrestled on superstars, and that's for sure. They would do these bigger events in February and I think maybe May, whenever sweeps are, which is a television term um, for ratings when they sell advertising, and it's important to you know, get big ratings during that time. And um, they would try to do that, pop a number by, you know, um, putting up the bigger stars on here. If you've seen Hulk Hogan on Superstars, uh, chances are, you know, that they are in sweeps. They're usually in February, uh, April, June, and October. Uh, but they can vary to exactly the periods. Uh, but my guess is we're, we're, we're firmly in the first sweeps of the year. Towards the end of it, usually would end in the early March. And also, we're getting closer to WrestleMania, so we have to build the WrestleMania matches. And one of the featured matches at that Mania is Andre the Giant versus Jake the Snake. And, of course, Big John Studd as the referee. And we'll get to that here on Cronoso. Uh, but this is a little bit of promotion for that match. And uh, Andre's going to go old school here um, in the 70s and 80s and of cross promotions. He probably wrestled more handicap matches than anyone. Uh, he would re wrestle against two guys, you know, four little guys, whatever combination you can think of. Uh, Andre's done it, and Jim Powers and Tito Santana are here to try and double-team Andre, and I'm going to tell you, the chemistry is not exactly crisp here. Uh, Jesse does mention that Tito will be at WrestleMania five um, in a strike format, strike force match, and uh, Vince says well, maybe it's a one-off. They don't know what's going on. They, they're... They could do a good job to preview um, that 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 there's a little friction there, that they don't know what's up with Strike Force. Uh, they don't mention that Tito is a looser. And if they would have done that, maybe that would have been too much of a clue of what would happen. But um, we will find out, of course, at Mania that Tito is a looser. Uh, in the meantime, uh, there's some actually some pretty cool spots in this match. It's short. It's two or three minutes long. And then towards the final third of it, all of a sudden, Jake's music plays over the loudspeaker, and his voice, all creepy, is on the on the over the overhead in the arena, and he's like, "Andre, Damien, and I are always watching you. We're watching you, Andre." And you know, Andre's scared of shit of these snakes for whatever reason. Uh, that's his Achilles, and he's getting flustered. And that allows Powers and Santana to get the upper hand, uh, but not for long. And Andre drops one of the weirdest-looking elbows uh, from a standstill and gets the one-two-three count for the victory. And as he Bobby joins him in the ring, and they're getting ready to leave, and Jake is back. The music is back. His voice he says, "Andre, I could be anywhere. I could be anywhere." And that's really the job for tonight. That's all I got, really. 
Uh, want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas. You know, it's a good thing I, I didn't have much going today because I am mush mouth. I am the biggest mush mouth in the history of North-South Connection today. I'm tripping on my tongue, talking like a, a lunatic. You'd think I'm nine scotch and sodas deep. I've actually never had a scotch and soda. Is that a good drink? I don't know. I'm not really a drinker. I've had Italian wine. That's about the only thing I've ever drank. Once I drank a whole bottle, I got it for Christmas. I drank the whole bottle, and I passed out, and I woke up with a headache. That's really the extent of my life as a drinker. But uh, today, I took the mishmouth. But Andre wins, uh, gives the Superstar Show a boost for the sweeps, and uh, we build towards WrestleMania five. All right, I'm going to tag out here. I'll be back next, Cronoso, to talk about Hershey Arena. So look for me on that one. I got some great stories about Hershey Arena. For now, the job is done. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year, everybody. All right. No so listeners. Thank you again for joining us for this section. I, of course, am Richie Mars. But I did not come alone because the 80s I was not around for. I was not around for 80s wrestling because I didn't exist yet. So to talk about the million dollar man's million dollar championship belt creation i had to phone a friend if we were playing who wants to be a millionaire <laughs> see what i did there i had to ask my good friend my sometimes co-host on wrestling retold and relive with richie mars on apple podcast spotify and google podcast i had to ask mr seth sational my friend seth seth how are you doing i'm good richie thanks for having me once again of course, and welcome to the no-so, your no-so debut. Look at that. Look at this, huh? I am now no-sewing. Yeah, that, that's correct. And we are talking about the creation of the Million Dollar Championship belt. Now, Seth, when you were a fan watching in the 80s, young Seth was watching. Young Seth. When did you know that this was going to be a thing did DiBiase say it in passing did he mention it or was it strictly the vignettes that tipped you off it was the vignettes and when he brought it out on tv you know i mean listen ted DiBiase, you know backstory want, wanted the wwf championship and he was unsuccessful in the wwf championship uh you know purchase and therefore decided to come up with his own million dollar championship which, uh, which, which was mostly just for him. Although at times it was uh, a prize for for certain matches, and it, it you know, or was also you know sometimes stolen and used as ransom. So, you know, it definitely gonna, was more than just a prop. Yeah, we're gonna get all into that soon, but we gotta go to the origins of why this belt was created in the first place. And I'm talking from DiBiase's own mouth from his biography. So these are his thoughts on the creation of the Million Dollar Championship. I was told that at WrestleMania 4, I was going to win the title and become the champion. But Vince came up to me and told me there was a change in plans. It seemed like there was an earlier dispute between the Honky Tonk Man and Randy Savage. In an effort to make everyone happy, Vince McMahon did what he had to do in the best interest of his company. I would have loved to have been the champion. To have my name etched in stone with those who paved the way would have been a major accomplishment. 
but a heel champion is a transitional champion and he <laughs> never holds the title for a major period of time. That has changed since then, yeah. but you know, sidebar. Uh, yeah. The fans wanted to come and cheer for their heroes. They wanted their champion to be the good guy like Hulk Hogan. Winning the title isn't important from a career standpoint. When Vince told me the plans had changed, he said, Ted, you're the million-dollar man. Why do you care about the title? It makes you an even bigger heel by losing. Afterwards, you don't need a set, you don't need the belt, and create your own title, the million-dollar belt. That way, we will design it. It will put the heavyweight title to shame. I was now the biggest pompous ass in the industry, and the fans hated me more than ever. I was hated so much that the character was instrumental in turning many heels to baby faces. All right, Seth, that was from the Million Dollar Man's own mouth. What do you think his thoughts were on not winning the championship? Vince McMahon's reasoning. Did you think Vince was right or wrong? Uh, from from his quotes, it doesn't really seem like he was, uh, you know, too upset looking back on it. You know, he he, he talks about how he became a bigger heel because of because of his own million dollar uh, championship belt. Um, you know, as as a fan. Uh, I could tell you right now, I mean, he's right. You know, he was more of an ass because, because of it. I mean, his, his gimmick was him as an ass. He's, you know, he's constantly throwing his money around and now he's going to be parading around with this million dollar championship, basically saying, I am the richest man here. And this is my championship belt to prove it. You yeah, know, let's re- let's rewind a little bit with that. And goes up with a huge watch. I was just thinking, you know, <laughs> He's got the big Rolex, you know? Yeah, but let's rewind just a little bit because there was an interesting thing that he was pegged to win the WWE WWF championship at WrestleMania four. And because honky talk man didn't want to drop the intercontinental championship to macho man, Vince McMahon made do and made macho man, the WWE champion Mm -hmm. instead. Now, if you were head of the company, you're Vince McMahon. And you had Macho Man Randy Savage or Million Dollar Man. Do you still think Vince made the right decision right there? I do. I do. You know, you. so let's go back to 1988 for a second. Um, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're coming off Hulkamania. You know, the biggest babyface champion the company's ever had. And, uh, you know, he the, the, the title was basically stolen from Hulk. Hulk with the whole Andre twin referees, Ted DiBiase shenanigans. Um, I think they made the right move by putting, you know, I mean, you put the title around the next, the, the, the next guy who at the time was the macho man, you know, I think popularity wise. So that, you know, on that instance, you know, they made the, 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 the smart decision. Um, I think DiBiase is correct. He would have been a, cha- a transitional champion, you know? Um, I mean, that, that was the, fr- so that year, uh, sidebar was the first SummerSlam, SummerSlam '88, mm-hmm. where the Mega Powers met the Mega Bucks. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I so again, you know, I don't know how long they would have had Ted, Ted DiBiase hold that championship. You know, if he would have held it for a full year, and DiBiase would have lost it at WrestleMania Five to Hulk Hogan, or you know, if he would have lost it before then to Hulk Hogan. But I mean, either way. You know, even Macho Man really turned out to be just the transition to get the belt back onto Hogan mm-hmm. down the road when he was done filming his uh his movies. So yeah. I, I would think that they would have DiBiase 
carry it for a bit. I wouldn't say he would drop it at SummerSlam. If there was a Saturday Night's main event in between Mania and SummerSlam, I think he'd drop it there. Yeah, I mean, listen. Probably Macho. It was Hogan, like I said, Hogan and Savage versus DiBiase and Andre at SummerSlam. Mm. So, you know, then the, so the question comes, you know, and I think you, you say this all the time, but, you know, did DiBiase even need the championship to be in that spot? No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He's Listen, the main event spots were, were still going to be, you know, DiBiase and Andre as the two top heels and Hogan is, and Savage as the two top baby faces. You know, did it really make a difference who, you know, if DiBiase had the world championship? No, not at all. He's he's still the number one heel in the company, you know. But you speaking know? of DiBiase not having the WWE, WWF championship, we have to go to an episode of Superstars, the February 11th edition of 1989 Superstars. This is the first vignette of DiBiase going to Terry Betteridge's Better Ridge Jewelers in Greenwich, Connecticut, to demand that his championship million dollar belt get made. Now, when you're watching these vignettes back, and I know I watched them for the first time, you watched them for the first time in a long time, nostalgia wise, did memories just come flowing back oh, with you? Like the shock of someone creating a championship? Because that didn't happen back then. No, not at all. I mean, and and we were talking about this before. I mean, dude, he goes, he's he's riding around the limousine. You know, he's he's the Donald Trump of of of, of the era, basically. You know, yeah. Um, you know, you know, this is the lifestyles of the rich and famous era. I mean, this is, you know, Trump Trump Plaza Hotel and Casino had just hosted WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. You know, they're gonna host WrestleMania five. DiBiase's riding through through Greenwich, Connecticut, where he points out and stuff you know, the richest place and the most expensive place to live. And uh, he pulls into this, this, um, this jewelry store. And what's, what's the first thing I said was first thing I thought when I was a kid was, man, I w- wonder how they found this place. You know, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's probably Vince's uh, personal jewelry store that he went to and uh, great, great uh, advertising for them. And uh, yeah, I mean, listen, he rolls in there and he, you know, he's got, He's got he's got the look going as somebody, you know, he's that customer, you know. It's like in Pretty Woman when uh Richard Gears, you know, marching in, you know, into into the stores on Rodeo Drive buying uh Julia Roberts, you know, all the clothing, you know. I mean, he's he walks in, he he's it, there's power. There's money and power right there. I didn't think we'd get a uh, Pretty Woman reference yeah. in a million dollar man of <laughs> segment, but here we are. But let's yeah, we- Let's go back to Ted DiBiase's own words about these vignettes, going back to his autobiography. Since I couldn't win or buy the World Wrestling Federation title, the storyline then had me purchase my own championship title. I unveiled the million-dollar belt in 1989. It was designed and made by Terry Betteridge of Betteridge Jewelers in Greenwich, Connecticut. He is a world-renowned gemologist. The fans were told it was made of real gold laced with hundreds of real diamonds in the shape of three large dollar signs. It wasn't. The belt was gold-plated, and all the stones were cubic zirconia. But on the back of the belt, there were three tiny authentic diamonds. I asked Vince, why are those three diamonds back there? They're real diamonds. Why are they back there? Nobody's ever going to see them. Well, Ted, we just wanted to keep you honest. 
when anyone asks you if the diamonds in the belt are real, you say yes. And, well, you're not lying. According to the documents that I carried for the belt, whenever I went through customs, its estimated value was about $40,000. In all of my years that I carried the belt, I've never asked to show papers. Though I have a replica belt, the actual one is locked in a safe. It should be noted that the belt was never an official title and thus wasn't ever sanctioned by World Wrestling Federation. You know, that kind of brings a, a question, a trivia question to mind, Rich. Ooh, okay. You know, DiBiase, although he just told you it was out of $40,000 belt, how much did he claim on TV it was worth? How many millions? Well, since you definitely didn't tell me this off air, I'm going to say $4 million. You must have read my mind. <laughs> but I will say with inflation, because I looked this up, since he claimed in 1989, it was around $40,000. So I went back to the inflation calculator and estimated it would be today the belt would have cost $106,000. Nice. So that is, that's a six-figure belt right there. Yeah. And that's why it's locked up, and you know, it's locked up because that, that's that that's a nice nice chunk of change. And here's another fact about the championship belt that many people probably don't know. So, we all know the uh, center plating of the belt. You know, the giant dollar sign had two miniature dollar signs next to it. Correct. But when they, this is according to Bruce Pritchard, so you could take it with a grain of salt. You could take it with anything you want. But he claims that. When they asked to create the championship, that the centerpiece was actually one of those side pieces of the million dollar championship belt. So the big dollar sign didn't exist. It was the little dollar sign that was actually the middle of the belt because the jeweler thought he wanted an actual belt to hold up your pants. Nice. So once they had to explain that to him, it was then altered to be a more fitting championship belt. And something that was very interesting in these vignettes were that DiBiase calls the championship a belt. Yeah. You know, he didn't say it was a championship because uh, it was always memed that Vince McMahon says, oh, belt holds, holds up your pants, damn it. It's a championship. <sighs> you know, so it's very interesting that back then you could get away with uh, loosely using these terminologies that were later eradicated banned. in wwe banned banned words so let's fast forward to the february 18th 1989 segment where mr dibiase is not too pleased that it's taking a little bit longer to get his million dollar championship belt and he shows up to the jewelers and jeweler takes him to the back room where where, where his craftsmen were, were hard at work and the first guy he sees he says he says what is that? Right. And, and the jeweler says, that's your diamonds. He says, that's the diamonds for my belt. And that's, we're, and we're going to need more diamonds. <laughs> from Mr. DiBiase, there are 500 diamonds there. Then you're going to need to make it with 800 diamonds. <laughs> <laughs> this has got to be the, you know, this has got to be the biggest, biggest championship belt of all time. Right. Now, do you think this is peak DiBiase right here? Do you think the creation of the Million Dollar Championship is his peak? Or do you think there's another moment that eclipses that? I mean, so we were just talking about before. I mean, he is so he is the top heel in the company, right? He was part of the WrestleMania main event at WrestleMania 4. 
That's true. He did go on, and he was in the, the SummerSlam main event that year with you know with the Mega Powers and the Mega Bucks. I would say this is going to be his peak because, right? I mean, after this, he's not. I mean, he's he's in featured matches, but he's not in the last match main event ever again mm-hmm. at WrestleMania. Good point. You know, um, I mean, a lot of his storylines from this point will focus on the million dollar belt, though. Yeah, that's true. The million dollar he, belt becomes his center uh, center point. Yeah for the remainder of his career. Yeah. You know, except, except for the tag team run with IRS when they actually, you know, had the tag team championships. Yeah. What was the name of their tag team, Seth? That'd be money Inc. That would be correct. That's but, not, not, but really tri- not trivia. I legitimately uh, just forgot what their tag uh, team you- was. And I was, I was hoping you would remind me because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I know they have a tag team that has money. Yeah, involved. Like, I just don't I'm know. Like, I'm like, not coming with you right now. Are you throwing me an underhanded one? Because I, I threw you an underhanded one before. <laughs> but let's fast but, forward to yeah. the third vignette. And this one is probably my favorite of the four segments we're going over. Because, as we were talking before, February 25th, 1989, DiBiase kicks down the door to the, di- the jeweler's place. And he says, I'm here. And he's in a cape. And he's yes. just walking in. And fun fact, you know who that cape belonged to, Mr. Seth? I do not. Vince McMahon himself. That was his cape. Wait, so Vince owns a cape? That's That it was the first thing that I asked myself when I heard that question. But yes, that was Vince McMahon's cape. Huh. I had no idea that Vince was a guy who walks around wearing a cape. You know what? He is a trendsetter. <laughs> but DiBiase trendsetter, wore it well. Yeah. DiBiase yep. wore it well. Yep. And then finally, DiBiase's championship belt has been made. And the camera, this is probably one of the best camera shots they've ever done in any WWE vignette. Because the camera is kind of below DiBiase. It's like under the belt. It's kind of like if they were uh, shooting an episode of Pawn Stars. And you're seeing the item from behind. You don't see the million dollar championship. You see the the belt. It was kind of like uh, when you open a treasure chest and then the light just kind of shines in the person's face. And DiBiase is like, it's beautiful and it's mine. It's all mine. It's like the ultimate like villain. Like, honestly, all all that was missing were the gold coins from DuckTales for him to swim around in and just kind of like just bask in his wealth. Yes. Now it was, uh, it was good. Now, as a fan, did you like the concept of another championship in WWF? Hey, Rich, I'm going to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. You know, at 12 years old, I didn't really look at it more as, as another championship. It wasn't until, you know, it, to me, it was, it was a Ted DiBiase, you know, prop it was you know it was something for the action figure that you know for me not to lose now you know as i'm looking (laughs) at my hasbro figure right over here and the belts on him um you know for it wasn't until you know you started seeing him you know involve it though um like with jake the snake when when jake stole the belt right and he put it in the bag with damien so DiBiase wouldn't be able to retrieve it. So it becomes part of a story. It becomes part of storylines, you know, um, you know, and then, and it led to the breakup, you know, 
where, where DiBiase hires Slick and the Big Boss Man to retrieve it, and it actually leads to the breakup of Slick and the Big Boss Man. You know? It just goes wants, to sh- no yeah, one wants to go near Damien. Yeah, it just goes to show that anything you could revolve a storyline around anything, even a non-sanctioned yeah. championship, which was treated and coveted like an actual championship because of this at the time, the delusionalness of the million dollar man not caring yeah. about the world championship anymore. And now he has the championship that he can just claim as his own as being the first, the only at the time million dollar champion. You know, from what, and again, I could be wrong on this, but you know, you never really had a million dollar championship match. You know, the only time that belt was, was a, you know, a prize was when it was taken and DiBiase really had to get it back. Right. You know, um, and it was done, you know, that was done a few times. Yeah. But, and it was even done recently, you know. It was, yes. On NXT. Yeah. You know, it, it was, was done the on prop- NXT. It was done on the NXT game show version, too. Yeah. It was, I mean, you go back just a couple of years ago, though. Yeah, I mean, listen, you got Cameron Grimes, you know, and LA Knight, you know, fighting for that million dollar championship. You know, it just goes to show that this championship has stood the the test of time and the best thing about this championship was probably its reveal mm-hmm. on the brother love show on march 4th 1989 yes. now you you we were talking about this off air and we have to give props to brother love i yeah. love you and he, he was he was praising this belt as if it was the uh most magnificent thing he'd ever seen Sold it so well. And he yeah. does it with a straight face. You know, Bruce Pritchett doesn't get half the credit he should for staying in character as brother love. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reveal was tremendous. Virgil, like we were saying, didn't really age well with this kind of gimmick and character. Straps. Jack, Jack though, he was in phenomenal shape. Yeah. And then wraps the million dollar championship around the million dollar man. And then the million dollar man's, I guess, reign of terror with his championship mm-hmm. then begins. But I want to ask you a question as a fan. Taking someone as hateable and notable as Ted DiBiase kind of added the WWE title picture. Mm-hmm. Do you think that stagnated his career or do you think because it was the first time anyone has done this, create their own championship? He I mean, really so, had to make it his own, and getting out of that main event picture, do you think kind of hurt him in a way? I don't think it. I mean, but did it hurt him? I yeah, mean, well, that's so, why I'm asking you. Yeah, I mean, so on one hand, we were just saying he never was really in a WrestleMania main event again, mm-hmm. but he was, you know, a, always a featured match, right? You know, um, he he was he was pretty much a top a top draw draw. Draw. In the company, yeah, in the company, uh, you know, up until his sign, you know, and again, remember too, he's he's not a young guy, and you know his, his you know, by by time, you know, another another couple of years, I mean, he he's forming his tag team with uh, IRS, um, you know, Money Inc. In case you forgot, ah, and they, it escaped me again, <laughs> you know, I mean, so so on one hand, you got to wonder, was was he going to be? 
you know, a main, you know, a featured player in the main event for a while anyway, even if he had the WWE championship, because like we were saying, how long would he have held that championship for? You know, a year mm-hmm. less. You know, I think I think if anything, this kept him pretty relevant I for a long that. time. Yeah. But uh, as Kevin Nash would say, uh, even though he was the low, lowest uh, drawing WWF champion, he said, I was still president. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it would have been a cool thing to add on Ted DiBiase's legacy. But if he didn't have that million dollar championship, there's a, a very well possibility that we wouldn't be talking to him about him in the same exact way. So there's definitely credence to that. Yeah. I mean, again, you take away that million dollar championship. You know, and he, he I, I think he, you know, slowly fade, fades down the card. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, he doesn't, you know, there's, if there's no million dollar championship to fight over, what's what's he fighting for? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's absolutely true. So, yeah. you know, I listen and, and that title, like you said, it's it, that million dollar championship has stood the test of time. It was on NXT. It was even, you know, it, you know. In, in the, uh, you know, early, early 2000s, you know, it was also used for Ted Jr. You know, he came out with the main doll championship as well. Yeah, well, unfortunately, it didn't really work out for him. And I uh, no, it did not. And I don't think yeah. he's I don't think he's doing that well right now. But, you know, he probably uh, wish he could get his hands on that, you know, yeah. six and figure. It, belt and if anything, uh, that championship also was the first title held by one ringmaster, Steve Austin. That's right. And I was, that's the next place I was going with that too. Yeah. You know, know? it's just like, so I think it created an equal number of stars than it didn't. You know what I mean? Like any championship, it's the guy who makes the championship. I think you could compare it. You know, if you want to talk about, you know, other championships that were basically just created by people for themselves. I mean, would this be on the same playing field as Taz and the FTW championship? I think it would be. I think so too. I know it's, you, you know, know different motivations, but yeah. it's still the same idea. Yeah. You know, guys creating championships for themselves and, you know, they, they create stories around that championship. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think, I, I think this did the, the, you know, did the same thing for DiBiase as FTW did with Taz. Do you think uh, we're overdue for somebody creating their own championship? Ooh, who could create one? I what could we get? Know. I don't know. You know, it's like it you depends know? on the, the time and the place, in my opinion. Depends on the story if it's there. Depends on the motivation. You know, I mean, I mean, if if and when the tribal chief loses, does he go off? You know, put, be in such denial that he, you know, that he lost. Does he create his own championship? <laughs> that would be pretty. That would be a pretty fun yeah. direction. You know, I mean, I mean, where, where, where do you go with this? I mean, who? Who could create their own championship? I, I would love to see it. I, know, I'm, I'm going to throw a name out there for you, okay. and you see if you agree. I know uh, she's currently holding a championship currently, but I think it would be fun if Chelsea Green had her own championship. Oh, are you kidding me? She'd be ideal. Like, I feel like she could be like the the, the female million-dollar uh, person championship. And you know what? She is so good that she would be able to play that off so well. Absolutely. You and know, uh, Mr. Seth, I'd buy in in a second. <laughs> Mr. Seth, uh, any final thoughts on the million dollar championship at large and its impact on history? 
is if there was if there was a Hall of Fame for props, I think you would definitely put the million dollar championship belt in there. I agree. You know, if there's a wing, um, you know, like I said, you don't go back to the late '80s, early '90s, and and, and expect you know you're going to be expecting to see that million dollar championship. Mm-hmm. You know, it's part of that that championship goes with the million dollar man. You know, like like Frankie went with Coco Beware. Yeah. You know, it, it's just like one of those things where it's going to be intertwined with the gimmick and character and yes. the person forever. So much so that Ted DiBiase, when he does autograph signings, that belt is going to be there. Well, again, I've seen him various times. The belt's not always there. But people do expect the belt. They do. And I did. And many a times I've gone there, you know, all right, you know, I'm, I, I always bring something for him to sign. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I've never seen him have the million dollar championship belt there. Mm. And each time, each time I'm always hoping that it will be there, you know, so we can get it in the picture. But I got four pictures with DiBiase and the million dollar belt is not in any of them. I'll, I'll make this the public outcry that next time you see Ted DiBiase, Ted, bring the million dollar championship here, please. Please, please bring it. All right. You know, I'm, but looking all... I'm looking at the picture right behind. <laughs> you can't see it. The only prop we have in that picture is a stack of $20 bills. And we're, we're, we're going you know, with our hands, you know, um, you know, there, there was no championship belt. I was like, I was like, I wanted that championship belt in the picture. So hopefully one day, but yeah. listen, it might have be a replica. Cause I can't see him uh, traveling from city to city with a uh, six figure belt either. Yeah. But Again, also Ted DiBiase was part of a famous wrestling family. And by the time you're listening to this, Seth and I are going to have a Mount Rushmore episode of Wrestling Families. Will the DiBiases make the list? We go over many, 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 many different wrestling families, our reasoning for them to being in our Mount Rushmore. And you could listen to that on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify And that episode will be out December 26th, the day after Christmas, a Christmas gift to all the no-so listeners. Not only can you listen to this podcast, once you're done listening here, you could come over to Wrestling Retold and Relive with Richie Mars, and you could hear more Seth and I's goodness on wrestling history. But Seth, thank you for joining me for this segment on the No-So podcast about the Million Dollar Championship. Any final thoughts on your No-So debut? I, I thank you for including me. Thanks for bringing me along for the ride. Absolutely. I wouldn't have it any other way when it comes to 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, and current day wrestling. All right, guys. Enjoy the rest of the No So podcast. I'm Richie Mars, and I will see you next time. Hopefully, TTFN. Ta-ta for now. All right, Cronosa listeners. Episode 19 is done, delivered, and dusted. On the next episode, Cronosa, we will start with... The Saturday Night's Main Event, number 20, from Hershey, Pennsylvania. We will take a stop in Boston Garden for rugged Ronnie Garvin versus Mr. Perfect. The Conquistadors versus the Young Stallions. And Hulk and Andre in the cage. And then we have a Mega Powers build heading into WrestleMania 5. So the next one is a big one. It's the last one before we get to WrestleMania 5. 1989 is a great year for the WWF, and we are just getting started here on Cronoso. So thank you to all the contributors this month, and we're looking forward to the future here on Cronoso. For now, see you later, guys. <laughs>